Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 34. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are very excited to start the next three episodes. We're tackling something that we have never touched before, the MCU. We're doing Marvel. We're doing the Avengers. Big lead into Endgame. I am so excited. Yes, and then we're going to go get some shawarma. Yes, shawarma indeed. I, I, would ha- I, I can't even begin to imagine how much the... Shawarma sales worldwide <laughs> grew because of this movie. Yeah, right. I didn't know what shawarma was before this movie. Did anybody? I don't think so. I mean, clearly Joss Whedon did, but I think that's about as far as it went. Yeah. Um, I, I can't believe that this movie came out as long ago as it did, too. Like, I feel like this just came out. It just feels so fresh. But this movie, at the time of this recording, this movie's seven years old already. See, for me, I think it's one of those weird time warpy things because I feel like it just happened. And at the same time, it does feel so long ago because of all that's happened in the MCU since. Yeah, I get that. So it's like a weird flux. I think it kind of depends on the day and what else you're watching around it. The crazy thing is that we're 10 years from the first Iron Man movie. Yeah, that's wild. You know, like, again, I feel like these movies just started coming out. And it, it might be because, and more so recently than in the past, they're not really spacing out these releases anymore. So you don't have these big, long, drawn-out, anticipatory releases right, right. that you had when they first started building the MCU. No, and I remember when we first got the trailer for this, I mean... I've never read the comic books, but I was totally into it. I loved Iron Man instantaneously. And when I found out what they were doing big picture, I was really excited about it. But I remember when you saw that first trailer. And of course, I'm sure you know that money shot at the end where the camera like spirals around all of them standing there as they're, you know, ready to fight this war. And it's just like such a behemoth of a movie. And I remember this being like the pinnacle at the time. And now that we're at Endgame, that's it, it's even more so. Like, I didn't think this could get any bigger, and it has. Yeah, yeah. I remember when we saw this for the first time, thinking the exact same thing. Like, how do you outdo this movie? And they just, they keep getting bigger and bigger. I don't want to say bigger and better, because some are and some aren't. But certainly, they are epic. The buildup for all of them is just as exciting as it was for this one. And we saw the trailer for this. It was the um, the post credit scene for Captain America, the first Avenger. Right. So that was the first time we saw a trailer for this movie. And I just, I can't believe that as, as of the time of this recording, we are th- less than three weeks away from the end game. Yeah. And it's totally wild. But we haven't talked about any of these films yet, and eventually we will get to them. Um, now, before we get into the casting, because we do want to tackle that first, I do want to say, before anybody else says anything, people are going to say, well, you guys said you would only review Disney releases, and this one was a Paramount release. You are slightly correct. Slightly incorrect. 
the way that this happens is because you see when the movie starts, it opens with the Paramount logo. Right. Technically speaking, this film is in association with Paramount Pictures. As is Iron Man. No. Or that was a Sony. The original Iron Man was Sony. That was before Disney had purchased Marvel. Right, but I'm just talking in the context of having a piece of the trilogy belong to a different studio. Correct. And Iron Man has the same thing. What happened was right before this film was released, it was actually, I think, before this was even in production, that's when Disney bought Marvel and shocked the world. But Paramount already had the rights to make the film. Hmm. So Paramount made it, but Disney released it in association with Paramount. And they worked out some weird negotiation where Paramount would relinquish like home video sales, but they'd still get box office. Like it's some weird. They're getting a piece of it. They got a big piece of it. They're getting their payment. They're getting. They they didn't get obviously what Disney got out of it. Right, but I'm sure they're not. They they lost money somewhere along the way, but I'm sure they got fair compensation for it because I mean it's everywhere. It's you know not just the movie and the DVD sales. It's the merchandise. It's everything. Like, it's, this just keeps going. It's a global phenomenon. There's no doubt about it. No, and as far as us only doing Disney movies, I mean, yes, the the Marvel Universe is now a part of Disney. We definitely want to include the current films. So in order to do this lead into Endgame, we can't just start with Age of Ultron. That would be weird. But this was a Disney distribution. So I counted all the same. It counts somewhere along the line. And if you're not happy about it, then just skip back to the animation discussions. Yes. But this was distributed and released by Disney. So I just wanted to throw that out there before somebody speaks If Roger speaks Rabbit up. counts, then so does this. Very good. Um, all right. Let's jump into the cast here. I think it would. it's only natural to start with Robert Downey Jr. because... He's the one that really kicked all of this off. And I remember when I saw the original trailer for Iron Man, I thought, this movie looks terrible. Really? I thought they didn't show you an awful lot. A lot of the original trailer was him in the very clunky uniform that he built in that cave that they had him in. And I just thought the movie didn't look that great. I thought the first trailer for the original Iron Man was kind of a cheesy trailer. I honestly don't remember a lot about the trailer, but I remember at the time we were working at the radio station and this was a big release for them. In fact, uh, I don't think we saw this one together. I think we were both there, but we we were we weren't working it. I think we were we brought friends and I don't remember watching it with you. Yeah, we weren't together. You were with two of your friends and I was with one of mine. That's right. Like a totally opposite yeah, end of the yeah, theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. And I remember watching that movie being blown away by how good it was. At that point in time, it was one of the best comic book movies I had ever seen. Yeah, because prior to that, I really was only into Spider-Man. Um, and I had seen... I think the first X-Men, but like that was the big one, I think, at the time. And I wasn't really into it. And uh, I remember being totally blown away. And I think what I loved most about it is because I still, to this day, don't know where Robert Downey Jr. ends and Tony Stark begins. I'm pretty sure they're the same person. They are the same person. And that what makes that is what makes him perfect casting. I honestly, I I do think... 
end game is going to be the end game for Tony Stark. I think it's going to be the end game for that version of Iron Man. And to be honest with you, I really can't see any universe where Iron Man, even 15, 20 years from now, gets a reboot. I just don't see who you could get that could play it as good as Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, I mean, I think that he definitely fought for this role. Like when they announced that they were doing it, I think he was like all over it because he really wanted to do it. Um, I think for the most part, all the guys were. Um, and Scarlett Johansson too. I think they they really did want to be a part of this. Um, so I like that for the most part, all of the cast has been, you know, like started as fans. Right. Um, and I think all of them like really grasped their character and really knows the character, but none more so than Robert Downey. And they took a chance on casting him because as a lot of people know, he has a very checkered past. Right. And I remember thinking, oh, geez, how's this one going to work out? And it couldn't have worked out any better. No, and what I really like about his casting, too, is that they didn't shy away from his age because he was already in his 40s mm-hmm. when this started. And, um, you know, now we're talking about 10 years later, he's over 50. He's still doing them. I mean, I can't see them doing another Iron Man trilogy. I And I agree with you in part. I don't think the story can continue unless it's kind of the passing of the baton with you know we saw Stark senior in Captain America and may, and maybe now if uh Tony and Pepper Potts have a kid they pass the torch down again if you want to keep telling this story right but, I mean there are obviously other people that have played at least a version of Iron Man but I just don't see it happening no, and, and let's maybe not it beat it to death. Yeah, well, that's that's the other thing, too. Um, and clearly, they knew that he was the biggest star of the movie, at least at the time that this movie came out, because, I mean, these were all name actors for the most part um, when this movie was released because of the prequel films. Right. You know, people knew Chris Evans as Johnny Flame. They didn't know him as much more than that. I didn't know who Chris Hemsworth was at all. Mark Ruffalo, yes. Scarlett Johansson, yes. Jeremy Renner, yes. But not the star power right. that Robert Downey Jr. was. And, and now all of them are just... They're megastars. Yeah. And and the thing with this film was, if you look at their pay, obviously at the time you knew he was the number one actor. Because whereas the rest of them took home, and Samuel L. Jackson, of course, they took home somewhere between 2 and $6 million each for appearing in this film. Robert Downey Jr., between his salary and his bonuses and his piece of the box office, because those were all incentives they built in for him, he made $50 million off of this movie. Oh, my God. And you have to imagine that somewhere along the line, they have all gotten equal money and equal bonuses because, A, they've all become major stars. The second thing is that you can't give them all $50 million contracts because there's the movie can hardly break even. Even, you know, when you think about the amount of money that these films make, you can't pay half a billion dollars just to the cast. Right. Well, they kind of did after that. It, it's almost like the Walking Dead thing where right. they were paying the actors so much and then you see them shooting everybody in pairs like Rick is off with Michonne and Daryl and Carol are out somewhere. Mm-hmm. And they kind of, that's kind of how uh, Age of Ultron followed where they're 
kind of separated a bit. So they're not all in the same scenes. You're not paying all of them as much for their time. Right. And you've seen them all kind of jump in and out and have little cameos. Obviously, Robert Downey Jr. has done it with Spider-Man, continues to do it, I think, in this upcoming Spider-Man movie as well that's coming out later this year. Right. But you knock those cameos out in a day and that's all you're paying them for. Exactly right. Um we talked about some of the other star power that the movie had. Let's touch upon a few of these other actors that were more well-known at the, at the time. Scarlett Johansson. I mean, she is a megastar. And leading up to that point in time, she was. I, she was an A-lister then. She certainly is an A-lister now. What I love about ScarJo is I think early on in her career, she came off as very stuffy, but... I don't think that that was her necessarily because she totally got pigeonholed as like the hot girl. Uh, So I think she tried to break out of that a little bit. I think she tried to take on some very serious roles so that she didn't get all of these stereotypical blonde roles. Um, and, And I'm glad that she did that because she is a very talented actress and I love her in this universe. But what I love even more is that she really doesn't take herself very seriously. Like anytime she's been on SNL, she seems like a lot of fun um, and she's really broken that down. So bravo to her for, for taking this on. And she wasn't the original casting choice for this role. Who was? Emily Blunt. No kidding. And I don't see how that would have worked. I don't think it would have worked out at all. We love Emily Blunt. We've talked about her in, in, in Into the Woods uh, coming up in the next month or so, we're going to do Mary Poppins Returns, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, we have a repeat guest coming back, which we're very excited about. She's a phenomenal actress. I don't think she could have pulled off this Black Widow thing. I don't know that she can come off that tough. Yeah. I think she's just too sweet, you know? I, and I don't think that even has anything to do with having her in my head as Mary Poppins. I think it's just... She doesn't have... I don't think she would have given it the same rough around the edges quality. Right. Because even, what was that ridiculous movie she did with her husband, that horror movie? Oh, Quiet Place? The Quiet Place. Even there, she's tough, but she's more maternal exactly. than anything else. Exactly. So, yeah, I think she's just too round around the edges. I don't think she has that jaggedness that you'd need for Natasha Romanoff. And... She also doesn't really look Russian. Exactly. Yeah. Scarlett Scar Johansson has does. that more ethnic look about her. Yeah. Right. That. So she is excellent. Mark Ruffalo, I really like here. He was a recast because in the Hulk movie that they did as a prequel to this, it was Edward Norton, who I think did a very good job. But I do like Ruffalo more in this in this role. I do too. I think he's a better Banner a million times over. Um, I wasn't sure, though, how he would translate as the Hulk, because for me, I knew Mark Ruffalo from romantic comedies like 13 going on 30. And he was like always the adorable, uh, you know, like the guy that was in the friend zone, but then eventually wins the girl over by the end of the movie. Then he was doing the indie thing for a while. He was. Yeah, he was in Eternal Sunshine. And I was like, how is this guy going to Hulk? But he pulls it off. But I, I definitely think. Uh, his strength is in the uh, the irony. Ha ha, his strength. Uh, I think that's in Bruce Banner. Absolutely. That was a good recast. Um, Jeremy Renner, people knew him. And his first few appearances in the MCU, 
I didn't really love him because I didn't think he really brought anything. He was so dry and so monotone and so bland. I remember this film in particular being the one where I really started getting on the Hawkeye train. See, I don't know. I I still to this day, I'm kind of like, what's the big deal? Like, I wasn't too familiar with Jeremy Renner's work before this. I think, you know, he is very dry and monotone in his delivery. And maybe that's what the character calls for. Again, I don't read the comic books. I don't follow them. So I don't know. Um, This was the only thing that I think was kind of miscast for me. Um, I personally would have loved to see Norman Reedus from Walking Dead in this role. Uh, That's just me. I'm a fan. Sue me. But um, I don't know. Maybe it's the Daryl Dixon thing with the the crossbow anyway that's kind of in my head. But I, I feel like every other actor in this film, I can't imagine anybody better for the role. Him, I can. Mm-hmm. That would have been an interesting casting choice. Um, you want to talk about somebody who could only play the role that they play. Samuel L. is yeah. is Nick Fury. Like you wonder who else could have played that character. Fishburne couldn't have done it as well. Cheadle, you eventually see um, in the Iron Man series. So no, and I like Cheadle more... better there. Yeah, um, and even like Denzel. Denzel's great. I mean, Denzel's amazing, but I don't think he has the swagger or the attitude. It's really more the attitude and the way that he carries himself. As great as Denzel is, nobody could play this but Samuel L. Jackson. And after seeing him in Captain Marvel, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The whole thing with the cat, like this, only Samuel L. Jackson could have done that. Mm hmm. Um, for me, probably my second favorite to Iron Man is Thor. Um, I love Chris Hemsworth in this role. I love this like dude bro surfer quality that he brings to Thor. And I think that that's by nature of him being Australian. But um, I, I think he's perfect. See, I don't think he has the dude bro thing going on until he's made a few of these movies. In this one, and especially in the first Thor movie... Tony Stark's makes the joke about Shakespeare, Shakespeare in, the, yeah. in the park, but that's kind of how he plays it. It's over the top. It is so theatrical. He takes himself so seriously, but I love him in this role. This is another character. I don't see anybody else playing him, and this is what propelled him to be the megastar. Yeah, because aside from, I think they shot Cabin in the Woods before this, but they released it after. after. Yeah, you want to talk about catching lightning in a bottle. Yeah, really. Lucky for them, because then they had the big name. If that movie would have been released, and well, if that movie would have been shot after this movie, they wouldn't have killed him off in Cabin in the Woods. Nope. Spoiler alert. Yeah, he would have lived to the end. So, um... And he, he just dies this very strange death. That was... It was a good movie, but it was really weird. Oh, I love the movie. Yeah. Was I it, love the movie, but yeah, his his part in it was kind of weird. Didn't didn't Sigourney have a cameo in that movie too? Yes, at the, end, at the end, right? And it it was kind of the same role that she played in Avatar, like this scientist and yeah. working on this project. It was cool. That was a good movie. You guys should check it out. Sorry if I ruined it for you. Um, <laughs> Chris Evans, again, we knew him as Johnny Flame, and those Fantastic Four movies, they're sort of niche. I dare say they've become cult classics 
you either love them or you hate them. Mm. I loved the first Fantastic Four movie. It doesn't necessarily hold up, but at the time, those were kind of those really eccentric comic book movies before they took this really dark turn that the Dark Knight and Batman Begins, they sort of set that precedence. Right. And now it's kind of become overkill with these dark comic book movies to the point where I'm sort of over it. Um, which is why I loved Ragnarok so much and like these newer um, Spider-Man movies because they're starting to feel more like those bright, fun comic book movies. Yeah, a little more flashy. Like for a now. while, comic book movies, they took themselves way too seriously, in my opinion. And they were trying to catch the the power that Dark Knight had. But I think only those films could hold them. And the MCU kind of makes that turn a little bit. And we'll, I'm sure when we talk about those movies, we'll discuss them more at length. But but I think if the movies didn't take themselves so seriously, I don't know that you could have landed this star power. I mean, I think Robert Downey Jr. opened the door. I don't know that you would have gotten Scarlett Johansson to do something like this if you didn't land the star power of Robert Downey first. Sure. Um, but anyway, that's how people knew him as Johnny Flame, and he's totally a cheese ball, and he's obnoxious, and he's arrogant. So to see him in this role is a complete 180. I actually knew him from um, those scary movie parodies that would um, poke fun at all of like the teen comedies, and he was like the dumb jock character in them. Yes. So I was really happy to see him able, be able to break away from you know, such a stereotypical comedic role. Absolutely. Now, he's the type where, again, I think he's going to get bumped off in Endgame, and then you're going to see Bucky take over as Captain America, because if I remember correctly, not that I've read a ton of the comics, but I think that is what actually happens, is that the Winter Soldier becomes the Captain America. I can see that, I can live with that, but I don't want to see Steve Rogers recast. He's another one where, mm. similar to Tony Stark... There's no need to reboot it. Just let it go. It was what it was. I feel like only he can play that character. Unless, yeah, unless they go with the Bucky storyline. Right. Um, I agree with you. I don't think that they're going to let both of them survive. I think it's got to be one or the other when it comes to the Cap and Iron Man. Yeah. We'll do a full prediction probably when we do our Infinity War review right before that release. Well, I'll tell you why I think that later when we get into this one. Now that okay. we've talked about the cast, you know, we wanted to get that out of the way because since we haven't reviewed any of these other films yet, any of the trilogies, you know, if you're not going in order of release, if you're going in the chronological order of the universe, we haven't hit on them yet. So we wanted to talk a little bit about the cast because, you know, I, I feel it's such a strong cast and I think it, it lends to the movie so well. And I think um, a lot of the reason being is because this movie is so character driven. I mean, yes, mm -hmm. it's an action movie big time, but I think that's why people love the Marvel universe so much is because there's so much heart in in it. And that's a tribute and a compliment to the late Stan Lee. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of people connected with those Marvel comics because they felt like they could relate to these characters. They felt real. And you could find something in, in each Marvel character that you could connect yourself to. Well, that's pretty much how it hooked me because I was always a Batman girl. And I'm I'm like fully converted now, especially now that there's Batfleck. I don't enjoy any of the movies 
any of the Batman movies with Ben Affleck in them as much as I did uh, any of the Marvel stuff in the earlier Batmans. As uh, as a kid, I read Batman comic books. Even as an adult, between the two, I watch the Marvel films. I read the DC comics. I read Batman. I read Green Lantern. I don't know why. I just I, I guess because you can only get into so many of them. Mm. But those were the two that I had. So I I just haven't. I've tried reading Iron Man, but I don't know why. I just can't get into the Marvel stuff. I love the movies, but I can't pick up a Marvel comic and enjoy it the same way I like a DC comic. But DC can't make a movie to save their life right now. That, right. That's the problem. Right. Um, but yes, so now that we've gotten that out of the way and we've touched on all the characters, I think now is uh, is the time to actually get into the movie. And based on the fact that this is not a musical and there is just so much going on here, we're going to do one of those linear reviews. There is no way to review this movie any other way. I think we have to do it linear, if you agree. I do. I definitely do. So the film opens with the Tesseract. It's alive on Earth, and it's active at a shield base, which is being evacuated. Uh, Dr. Selvig, Nick Fury, and Phil Coulson, and Hawkeye, uh, they're all at the base when Loki comes through a Tesseract portal that has opened up. Loki goes on a rampage, killing agents, killing scientists, before using his scepter to take control of Selvig and Hawkeye. Um, this, obviously, is a very important piece of the film. This film doesn't exist without this happening. He needs Selvig to take control of the Tesseract. He needs that brilliant mind. Mm -hmm. And he needs Hawkeye because he needs a soldier, but he also needs somebody who can figure out how to infiltrate S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. Um, what I like about this whole setup, too, is until really this point, we always thought that the Tesseract was just an energy source. That's what it's meant to the universe up until now. And, um, you know, it's just funny looking back on this first film, how even that's evolved. It's it's like its own character and the role right. that it has played in this universe. Yeah. Um, I also love that Loki goes instantly from zero to 60 from being Thor's evil brother to a full-blown sociopath. Yeah. And that's one of the cast members that we didn't talk about is Tom Hiddleston, Hiddleston. who was perfection. Yeah. I really hope that they bring him back somehow in Endgame. Because we know that he's at least getting a show on Disney+. Plus. Right. So I'm really excited for that. Of all the things on Disney Plus, I think the thing I'm most excited for is the Loki series. Yeah, I I love the character. I mean, I I love conflicted characters to begin with, but I love how they've used the you know him within the trilogy as far as like that whole Captain Barbosa thing. Like he's your enemy, then you need him, so you have to work with him. Then he's your enemy again. Uh, so I think there's a lot they can do with that. Yeah, and Hiddleston is just talented in general. I'm like, I'm a huge James Bond fan, and it doesn't sound like it's going to happen, but there's a part of me that's still holding out hope that he becomes James Bond after Daniel Craig is done. Uh, so Loki and his crew escape with the Tesseract before the portal collapses, destroying the base uh, just after Fury, Coulson, and Agent Hill, uh, Aunt Robin, escape. Um, <laughs> this movie, the, the beginning to this movie is probably the second most epic open to a superhero film at least at the time of this film's release second to the opening of the dark knight i'd agree with that I, not a disney movie but i would agree with that i just think that the way that that film opened with ledger yeah it's iconic but so is this 
Um, Black Widow, uh, Natasha Romanoff, is being tortured and interrogated overseas when she gets a call starting the Avengers initiative. She fights off her captives, and Coulson tells her that she needs to find Bruce Banner, who is in seclusion. Um, she finds Banner, and she explains that they aren't going after the Hulk to win this war. They want Banner for his knowledge of gamma radiation. Mm -hmm. We all know that's how he has become the Hulk. And the gamma coming off of the Tesseract is so powerful that only a brilliant mind like Bruce Banner can figure it out and harness it. Um, Nick Fury then finds Steve Rogers and explains that um, Loki is back. He tells him the whole situation and he recruits him to help save the world. I like how when they assembled the crew, they didn't do the Mighty Ducks montage of just going to find all of them in different places in the world, wherever they're hiding out and, and, you know, put some snappy music behind it and just round them up really quickly. Um, I like that a lot of them were kind of reluctant to go about this because that's the thing. Like, you know, we've seen them all in their own movies up until this point. They're the hero of their own movie, obviously. And they all have egos. So it's like, why do I have to go play with others at this point? Right. They don't travel by map. To go and find all of them. Right, exactly. Coulson heads to Stark Tower and recruits uh, Tony Stark and then briefs Steve Rogers about Banner and his gamma research. We didn't talk about uh, Clark Gregg as Coulson. I remember when we were introduced to him, he was the character that every time he came on screen, I just rolled my eyes and couldn't wait for him to go away. But he has become one of my favorite characters in the MCU. Yeah, I, I think he's kind of beloved by everyone. Yeah, certainly by the time you get to this film, he's at least crossed, uh, crossed that threshold. And we also see uh, Pepper in this scene, which we haven't really talked about. I'm not the biggest Gwyneth Paltrow fan, but I do really like her as Pepper Potts. Her chemistry with Robert Downey oh, Jr. Oh, it's amazing. I dare say is unparalleled in the MCU. Maybe Hemsworth and Hiddleston, but I don't think anybody else is as convincing or as strong in their relationship as Paltrow and Downey. Agreed. Um, so anyway, Loki then goes to another realm to announce his plan, and he keeps hearing about how, quote-unquote, he put the scepter in his hand. We don't know who he is that is helping him with this army. We don't know who he is that put the scepter in his hand. We don't know who it is that is being lorded over his head, but we eventually find out in the uh, mid credit scene. We'll get to that a little bit later. We sure do. Mm -hmm. um, on a S.H.I.E.L.D. aircraft carrier, Black Widow, Banner, Rogers, they're all briefed on the situation. Um... Loki is then tracked down in Germany who wreaks havoc at a museum gala while Hawkeye steals iridium that they need to carry out the Tesseract mission because they're trying to we uh, weaponize it and they want to open that portal. The only thing I don't like about this scene, and really I think it's like my only comment on the whole movie as far as disliking something, is that Loki comes in and he grabs whoever the speaker is at this gala that they're having and nobody goes to help him. 
not Loki, but like they just kind of let Loki do his thing. And he hasn't even used the scepter yet. Right. They haven't seen his full power. Right. He's in street clothes. Yeah. So you don't really know what he's doing. But nobody goes to help this guy. And I thought that that was kind of a miss, especially because the next person we see try to take Loki down is the Cap. And, you know, he's so, you know, that soldier mentality of save the civilians. Right. And when Cap shows up, it's what I loved so much about Captain America in these early movies. And he goes, you know, the last time I was in Germany... There was a man making everybody kneel. He was that uber patriot, yeah, over the top, but so endearing and so of his time. He's still sort of out of touch with reality. And I'll be honest with you, if there's two criticisms I have about how Captain America has gone on as these movies have gone on, first, he's a lot more jaded than he was. I can sort of live with that because now he's gotten acclimated to the ways of the modern world. So it's character growth. I'm okay with that. I do miss the original message that he was sending. But I like how in this movie he's kind of still finding his footing as far as sticking to his beliefs. And even right up until this point when he goes to take Loki down, he's still trying to figure out how to make it work in this world now that he's I mean he's literally fast forwarded in in time I miss the mask with the A and the wings on his head Mm. oh I miss that no 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 that is that is Captain America and I I miss I miss as he puts it the stars and stripes his outfit has gotten so dark as the movies have gone on that to me he doesn't even resemble Captain America anymore I mean I like that in his own trilogy, they drew from all of the comic books because there have been so many different renditions of the cap suit. But, you know, and they kind of threw all of them into his own film. Um, But that's that's something I think you have to make a concession for modernizing the character and making him fit in this world in this movie right you had to you know we had talked about this the other day that you had to make that suit a bit more tactical right especially because that's that's the way shield is going anyway right like even iron man is upgrading his suits as he goes yeah um he just looks so much different from the rest of the characters because even in his civilian clothes, he looks like he's wearing things of his time and he still kind of has that boyhood innocence that I I just miss it and I just I wish that we still had it. You know, it's not that it's not that his character is bad. It's not that what they've done is wrong, but I do miss that about him and I wish they would bring it back. I, At least a little bit. I don't know that it would work as far as them all being in a movie together to stick to it that much. Sure. Um yeah, and then in this scene, Iron Man comes in and he completely steals the show. I love Epic. Tony's entrance here. I love that they're playing shoot to thrill and he just comes down and tries to take Loki out. Right, because the soundtrack to Iron Man 2 was basically just ACDC's greatest hits. Yeah. In fact, every song on that soundtrack was an ACDC song. I remember giving... We were still at the radio station when that second movie came out and we were giving it away. And other than the score, all of the music was ACDC. It's like they had the exclusive right to the soundtrack. Other than the Black Sabbath song, which, I mean, you can't make this movie without 
have, but I think that might have only that been was in the in trailer. The fir- that was in the first film. It was in the end credits of the first movie. Right, right. But I'm just saying, you can't make this movie without using Iron Man. Right. The song. Yeah. So after they battle him uh, and after they capture Loki, uh, they put him on board their aircraft uh, on their way back to the carrier. That's when Thor arrives. He takes Loki with him to bring him back to Asgard. Out of fear that Thor would either set Loki free or kill him, freeing the Tesseract, Captain America and Iron Man interfere, leading to a great battle. I think this might be my favorite scene in the whole movie. Um, I love that they didn't resort to the enemy of the enemy is my friend and they didn't trust Thor right away necessarily. I love once they get to ground level, the dialogue between Tony Stark and Thor, and you mentioned it before <laughs> when he's like, what is this? And Tony's like Shakespeare in the park. It's It's brilliant. And they're both... You know, I agree with what you said before, because Thor doesn't have the dude bro quality just yet because he's still speaking, you know, in his native tongue of sound. Yeah, he sounds very proper, but he's still holding his own in a conversation with probably the most sarcastic person in the world. Doth mother wear, doth mother (laughs) know you wear their drapes. That's the line. Yes, that's it. Um, It's so funny. And I love the battle that ensues because you can kind of tell they're all flexing their muscles a little bit. They're all showing what they can do, uh, but it doesn't drag on forever. Particularly, I appreciate that they cut out when they did. It didn't feel like Batman versus Superman because Zack Snyder does not know how to cut out of those scenes. Zack Snyder doesn't know how to make a movie. We shot it, so we're going to use it. Yeah. We paid for this, so it's going in the final cut. Right. I remember Ugh. when they released the director's cut of Batman versus Superman. I remember thinking to my and I and I own it uh, only because I do own all the Batman movies. Um, I remember thinking, "There's more." <laughs> You're telling me you cut something out of what this? What ended up on the cutting room floor? You can you can't possibly have anything left. I'll be honest with you. I've watched the director's cut a couple of oh. times, and I I really don't know. I, I, I can't pick anything out that was much different than what we saw in the theatrical release. I really hope you did that when you were sick and that yeah. you didn't actually invest too much time other than when you were laid out on the couch anyway. Martha. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what I like about um, this scene in particular in this fight is that it ends because Thor grabs his hammer and he goes to smash Captain America mm. and Captain puts his shield up and up to that point in time, it's the only thing we've seen that can best that hammer. Yeah. And it was sort of a moment where they all got knocked down. There are trees falling down and Thor stands up in shock and Captain just looks at him and goes, are we done here? And it was just perfect. Perfect way to end that scene because with that sentence alone, you said everything you needed to say and you totally shifted the relationship amongst all of them. Yeah, it's like we have to work together now. And it was just such a Captain America thing to do. Are we done here? Yeah. Like he's just, he's done. He's over it. Let's move on for the greater good. The only thing that I don't like about it is that prior to this, when Thor grabbed Loki off of the ship, you know, he they, they crash into the earth and Loki's kind of knocked down. But he's still there while the battle's going on and they get him, but it's kind of like, 
I don't necessarily trust that he's not up and trying to escape yet. Right, of course. But I'm sure, I mean, okay, you can write it off as it was easy for the three of them to track him after that. Right. Um, After the fight ends, they move Loki to a cell inside their aircraft carrier, and Thor reveals that Loki has an army ready to attack at any time. After Stark hacks the S.H.I.E.L.D. computers, we find out that S.H.I.E.L.D. is trying to use the Tesseract to build weapons of mass destruction, which he blames Thor for. As he said, until you came to our world... We didn't know that we needed these weapons. You proved that there are forces out there bigger than us, and we need to be ready to defend ourselves at any time. I think it also had a little bit to do with the Hulk because the glass casing that they have Loki in was meant to hold Hulk in case they needed to. Right. Basically, it's a glass casing and... Impenetrable. Yeah, it's impenetrable. And if someone tries to break out of it, they release it from the bottom and it drops 30,000 feet. What I like about this scene too, you know, they kind of did address the elephant in the room is that like now you've got all these egos on the same playing field um, because they recognize that they, you know, as we talked about in the scene immediately leading into this, they recognize that they all have to work together now. Um, But there's still that little bit of whose way is the best way, except between Tony Stark and Bruce Banner. I like the relationship that's starting to build here because they respect each other as scientists. I love them on screen together. I think they, they do such a great job bouncing off of each other, especially there's the one scene where they're kind of having a heart to heart and it's almost, um, you know, like they're just kind of having, a session to vent about work because really they don't really have anyone that can relate to them that they can talk to this about. I mean, sure. Tony has pepper, but like she's not a superhero. She can't understand what he goes through. Um, So I like that Tony kind of explains to Bruce, you know, I have all the shrapnel that could attack my heart at any second. And I figured out a way to control it. And he's trying to help Bruce uh, be able to control the other guy as he's referred to. Right. And I think the other thing, too, is and it's it's no offense to any of the other characters, but Tony doesn't have anybody that he can speak to on the level that he can speak to Bruce Banner because they're right. both so brilliant. Yeah, I, I love that part where he's like, is I am I the only one who did the reading homework here? Yeah. Um, so Hawkeye and the other foes of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, track down the carrier, launch an attack, helping free Loki, who prior to his escape kills Agent Coulson. And Fury tells the Avengers about Coulson's death, and he shows them the blood-covered Captain America trading cards that Coulson had. We hear about it earlier. Coulson has this man crush on Captain America. I love the fanboying. Which I love. It's so funny. It's hysterical. And he's like, I helped make alterations to your suit. And he like <laughs> he wanted him to sign these vintage uh, trading cards that he took him years to collect. And he's got like these, he's got like that doe-eyed, almost boyish look when he sees Captain America for the first time. But at the same time, it's like you don't know how to talk to your crush. Exactly. Like you're trying to ask him out, but you can't. Yeah, it's childish in all of the right ways. it's great. Uh, It turns out that the cards weren't with Coulson at the time of his death, but Fury posed it as such because he needed to motivate this team. Um, I kind of like that they did that, where you almost don't trust Fury for a second. Like, you know that 
he's got the bigger picture in mind and he's going to do the right thing. But there's I like that we start to question him a touch. Right. Especially we, uh, with the WMDs. Yes. Um, so it during this battle that happens, Hawkeye snaps out of his spell and is briefed on the situation at hand by Natasha. So he has now been brought back into the Avengers initiative. Uh, eventually, they reconvene at Stark Tower where Loki is waiting with Selvig, who opens a portal, bringing Loki's army to Earth, where Havoc is unleashed. And he has this back and forth with Tony Stark, and Stark's like, you want a drink? No, seriously, do you want a drink? Carefree. He's just so Tony Stark about it. And he's standing there, and he literally looks at him and goes, there is no way that this ends favorably for you. There's no throne here. Like, right. you're not going to win. Right. And it's a really good scene between two of the strongest actors in this film. You yeah, know, it's because one of my favorites. Because you have Hiddleston acting as a god, and you have Downey acting with a god a complex. God. Yeah. Exactly. And it just works so well. Um Prior to that, though, I also love how Tony figures out where Loki is, um, because after Coulson's death, he's talking to the Cap a little bit, and they're they're still kind of at odds with each other. I think that there's something that the Cap doesn't necessarily trust, um, and you know he's laundry listing the things that Loki's done, and he's like, he wants to put on a show, he wants a monument with his name on it, son of a. And yeah. that's that's how it dawns on him. Right. Um, so I think that's a great scene, too. I don't want to gloss over it because um, this is also why I think it's got to be one or the other between the Cap and Tony, because obviously Captain America has that relationship with his father. Right. Um, and I I've always gotten the impression that he doesn't 100 percent trust him. Um, but in the scene. He says to. Tony, um, you know, you're not a soldier. You would never lay down your life for somebody else or something to that effect. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, it was actually so, something about um, like being in the trenches and Tony's response was I would cut the wire like I will always outsmart you. Um, and he's like, I'm not a soldier, though. I don't have to think like that. I don't have to play by those rules. Right. And he takes a shot at Captain America, basically saying, I'm a genius and you're something that came out of a bottle in a laboratory. Exactly. But at the end, I mean, they're forced to start working together to save the ship because that's going down and it's going to crash and kill everyone at this point. Um, you know, and they kind of foreshadow because the captain says you'd never lay down your life for somebody else and at the end it's Tony with the missile who's got to essentially save the world and I think because he proved that he actually would throw down his life for the greater good I think we're going to see that all come to a head in Endgame yeah I think there's a big chance of that, especially because after a while, it sort of became the thing in this MCU where somebody has to sacrifice themselves oh Tony's got it Right, right. <laughs> it just became that after a long time yeah. Um, so Banner arrives in Manhattan and reveals that his secret to controlling the Hulk is that he's always angry. And then he transforms himself into the Hulk. Um, a lengthy battle ensues and eventually the spell is also broken off of Dr. Selvig. Loki is then blown out of the sky. Uh, he's riding on one of these, um, it's like an, I don't want to call it a motorcycle, but like that's an what air it looks cycle. like. Exactly. Yeah. He gets blown out of the sky by Hawkeye and then is smashed by the Hulk, which is a scene that got literally when we saw 
this film, we saw an advanced screening when when Hulk picks him up and starts slamming him around like a rag doll. That scene got a standing ovation in the movie theater. It's perfect because at, up until this point, everybody has tried to stop Loki and then Hulk just comes in and literally picks him up by the scruff of his neck and slams him. And then calls him a puny god. Yeah. Um, so in spite of the fact that Nick Fury argues against this, the government sends a bomber to drop a nuclear weapon on the city to end the war, regardless of civilian casualties. Upon hearing this, Iron Man intercepts the missile, flies it through the portal, risking his life to do so, as you mentioned before, and destroys Loki's battleship, ending the war. Stark falls back through the portal as it's closing and is sent tumbling to the earth, but is caught by the Hulk essentially saving his life. He awakens and invites the group out for shawarma. The Avengers capture Loki, who is returned to Asgard with Thor. They take the Tesseract with them as well. The group then goes into uh, into seclusion until they are called upon again. We get the mid credit scene that introduces us to Thanos mm-hmm. and post credit scene of them eating shawarma, and it's just very funny. Um, what's amazing about this... Uh, mid credit scene with Thanos is that you just get a quick side view of Thanos and he grins and then we don't see him or hear of him for years. Right. They planted that seed and then he disappeared for a long time. Right. As I've said, I don't read the comic books. I didn't realize this was where we were building to, but I love how Thanos is kind of the missing link to tie everything together that also, you know, it, it brings in Guardians of the Galaxy. It brings in Wakanda and Black Panther. Um, so I love that this has all been driving to Thanos the, the entire time. Right. And what I really like, too, is that, to your point, we don't see him for years. They had the character down. They knew exactly what he was going to look like. And once they cast Josh Brolin, he just fits in perfectly. I mean, all you really had to do was the the makeup and motion capture and, you know, he was ready to go. Yeah. Um, so kind of wrapping everything up for me, I think the sets in this movie are fantastic. I think for the most part, the special effects hold up. The CGI when Loki is flying on that air cycle through Manhattan was and still is terrible. I think that's the only sloppy part because otherwise the special effects, I think other than the second Iron Man, have always been impeccable. Like I'm thinking more specifically in terms of all the computer, uh, you know, even how it started in Iron Man where Tony Stark just will throw his hands up in their computer screens wherever he needs them. Um, to me, that's always looked amazing. Mm-hmm. Um and and accurate. I mean, like we're we're getting there. There's like screens in everything now. Yeah, touch screens in everything. Um, yeah, I I think all the special effects, except you're right for that one scene, are great. Uh, I love the music, and not just we were talking about shoot to thrill being used perfectly before, but the score in particular is what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think it has just the right amount of pomp and circumstance and it's so cinematic without being too over the top and it's like like it's it's perfect when you think of the avengers and and what you need for them it it's perfect for a superhero score 
I go so far as to say, and this might garner, this is going to garner some reaction. I go so far as to say that the score for this movie and the Avengers theme song has become almost, not quite there, in time it might, I think it is almost as iconic as the Star Wars score. I would agree. I was going to say, I think it's as good as any John Williams. Yeah, this was Alan Silvestri mm. uh, did the score for this. I'd say that it's it's almost there. I think Star Wars, certain ones, Star Wars, Jaws, I think that they're sort of in their own class. Right. But this one is is Even right Indiana there. Jones is, is in a class all by itself. Yeah, well, John Williams. Yeah. Um, that's that's this is so close i i i almost put it right there i think 10 15 20 years from now we're still going to be talking about these movies it's at that point that that score this score will become in that class i would agree i i don't think it's as iconic it is another john williams but i think the harry potter score is perfect I think it lends itself to that movie so well, and I think that this is on par, where you just nailed it exactly the way you needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the costuming, other than the NYPD uniforms, are great. I and mean, the those drapes. The, yeah, the NYPD uniforms clearly came not out accurate. of the costume shop. Not uh, accurate. Costume shop. They're they're really not good at all. Um, but the thing that stands out most to me, at least is without recapping the entire MCU, seeing how these characters, for the most part, have changed and how they've grown. We talked about it with Captain America earlier and the Hitler line, and then the line of, there's only one God, ma'am, and he doesn't dress like that. Yeah. You know, like, he is so different. And Banner was awkward and he was nervous and he's raw, and he's not totally controlled. And the film takes a turn. I forget that he admits that he has tried suicide before. I do, yeah, yeah. I forgot uh, all about that. But you know, he has changed as a character. Black Widow, Hawkeye—they're very much the same. Nick Fury, very much the same. Stark is Stark. He will never change. Right. I mean, he's far less selfish than he was, mm-hmm. but he's still Tony Stark. Or as a lot of people say, and we've said it on the show, Tony Snark. Yes. Um, but I think that the humor in this movie is on point. I think that it holds up. Um, before I give my final analysis here, was there anything else you wanted to chime in with before I go and give my my wrap up? No, I really, I, I think you just said it right there. Um, for me, the question of does it hold up, it's, it's really all about the humor. That's the answer for me is that we've seen the snarkiness escalate. We've seen Captain America change. We've seen Thor get a little bit more relaxed and like we said, like the the dude bro kind of thing come out. Um, And then we've seen Tony Snark. Now I'm saying it for real. (laughs) (laughs) We've seen Tony Stark almost out sassed by Star-Lord. And for me over what is it, like 18 different films in 10 years? It really hasn't gotten it's old. Like, it's like 20-something films now. Is it now? Yeah, it's so many. Yeah, I think I'm I'm just going with the 
Initial trilogies. I'm, I'm right. not thinking in terms of uh, what is Cumberbatch, Doctor Strange, yes. and, and, and Black, Black Panther, Panther, and yeah, yeah, yeah. have the one-offs. Um, yeah. I'm talking about the trilogies. Um, but yeah, I, it hasn't gotten old for me. The jokes don't get old. The delivery doesn't get old. Th- that it's almost become a brand of humor in itself. I agree, and that's what I love about it. I think that as good. As most of the movies in the MCU are, I think as epic as Endgame is going to be, I think as mind-blowing as Infinity War was, especially the first time that you see it, in my opinion, not only does this film hold up, but in, in the way I feel about it is that I think this is still, and probably will always be, which might be unfair to say because we we still have Endgame coming up. I think this is and will forever be the best film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I would agree with that. I think um, I think it's certainly the best Avengers. But yeah, I mean, maybe that's not a fair a fair assessment yet because we've not seen Endgame. Um, yeah, I think. What are your What are your top three? I'll give you my top three, but I'm not going to go further than that because I'd like to do I'd like to do a show when we rank all of them. Oh God! Even even the ones that Disney didn't make, we'll just rank all of them. Yeah. Um, because those films are not going to get the traditional review, but we'll rank them. Um. Avengers. Yeah. The first one. Iron Man one. Captain America: The First Avenger. Those are my top three. Mine would be Iron Man one. Captain America, Captain Marvel. This is slightly edged out. Captain Marvel was amazing. Captain Marvel, to me, is... Let's just say it's close. I said I wasn't going to give up any more than my top three. I'll just say it's very close. Until last month, this would have been the top three. It just got edged out. All right, interesting. Um, So that's our review of Marvel's The Avengers. Let us know what you guys think. Uh, You can get to us on our social media, at Monoreal Radio on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Let us know what you think of the film. How excited are you for the end game? What is your Marvel top three? Um, News this week, it is Marvel, Marvel, Marvel. Specifically, Endgame. Um, We got a scene release, actually. Not just a trailer drop. We got a scene release. Yeah. With Rhodey, Natasha... Captain, Thor, and Captain Marvel. And it's basically them briefing her on what's been going on because she hasn't been around. And it's a really cool scene, and it ends with Thor saying, I like her. They're hazing her almost. Yeah. I like it. But she doesn't take any of their crap. Yeah. I mean, that's just how... That's her. She doesn't take anybody's crap. Right. And, And when we event... I can't wait... Until that movie comes out on Blu-ray so we can watch it a few more times and eventually review it. Because that movie was so good. More important, though, than the scene drop. Like, okay, it was cool to see a scene. The bigger thing is that news came out over the weekend that they have intentionally shot fake scenes Mm. and put them in the trailer to throw people off. That's why it's brilliant. It's totally brilliant, especially, you know, in this internet age where everything gets leaked. 
Yeah. I love that we have decoy trailers. Um, what do you think it is? I think Steve Rogers is dead. Uh, I think the... I think the scene of him carrying that American flag draped coffin is a decoy. I think we're all meant to believe that he's carrying Tony Stark or Bucky, but Bucky is going to get his own trilogy as Captain America. And uh, Chris Evans has basically gone out on social media, unless it's all a decoy, though I don't believe it is. Right, he's tap dancing now. And he's basically said his goodbye as Captain America after they finished shooting Endgame. So I think that's the decoy. I think Robert Downey Jr., if he lives through this, is going to just have cameos with Spider-Man because um, Peter Parker is sort of looked up to him as a father figure Mm. um, if he lives through it. I think that's the decoy. What about you? Uh, I think it's actually the first scene we saw in the first trailer and they, they've used it in all of them is when Tony is saying goodbye I don't buy it and I I don't buy that that's how he would say goodbye because even in this past or in the first Avengers um, the one we just watched he does try to call Pepper mm-hmm. as he when he thinks like okay this is it right Um, so I believe that he would say goodbye but I don't believe it to be as sad as they're making it out to be okay Unless it's unless uh, it's a kid, unless him and Pepper had a kid, and that's who he's saying goodbye to. Could be. What do you guys think? What's the fake scene at Monoreal Radio on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter? If you're looking to plan a trip to the parks this year, uh, especially if you're thinking of going the end of this year for Star Wars, definitely get in touch with me. Things are booking up fast. I'm sure the prices are going to go up. Uh, so hit me up at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.